Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Lance Carlson, and I'm your host for today. Joining me is software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Say hi, Tom. Hello. It is also my honor to introduce Adam Oberhausen, Vice President of Customer Solutions with Right Brain Networks. Hey. And he's also wearing his his sunglasses and uh, and what was this the rapper's name? Froggy Fresh. <laughs> I tried to put sunglasses on too, but I, I can't I can't steal your shtick. So, so today we are going to be discussing OpenAI's new feature, Custom GPTs. Have you guys played around with Custom GPTs much? I have. Yeah, I, I think when it dropped, I saw this video of Sam Altman. You know building a custom GPT in like a minute, right? And I was like, oh, this looks cool. So hopped on it right away. Haven't played with it too much since, but I've spent a lot of time reading the API documentation. So mm. I got a, I've got a really good understanding of how it all works and I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. Of the uh, fresh perspective. <laughs> you haven't used it yet? I wasn't able to dive in that much. No, enough now so we can talk about it, but yeah, I'm uh, intrigued yeah. to see what you all have done. It's interesting the name GPTs too. I think the marketing of it's a little bit interesting. The, I mean, I know how hard it was for people to understand Chat GPT like that as a marketing term in the beginning, and then to just use it as the name for the the thing that there that you can customize is interesting too. I, I still know people that say GTP, <laughs> but yeah. So uh, if you if you don't know what a custom GPT is, basically. So we, we started off with the ability to have a custom prompt in your ChatGPT, which which is nice. You can actually, you can tell ChatGPT like a, a high level instruction of that sort of goes into this, this thing called a system prompt about and tell it about you and your preferences and whatnot. Now, a custom GPT takes that to a whole, whole other level and you can... Um, now you can put just an enormous amount of information inside of one customized GPT. This allows you to not only, um, I don't know if, the, so it, in my opinion, the word training is not necessarily the word I'd like to use because it, traditionally when you're training uh, a language model, you're using you know lower level foundations like found, fine tuning and stuff like that. You're doing some prompt engineering. This is more on the prompt engineering side and not the fine tuning end of things. And so, uh, but, but the great thing about GPT-4 is that it doesn't take much for you to get it to understand what you're trying to do. So you don't actually have to train it. You can just say like, this is what I want. And then it does a really good job at kind of, you know, configuring the output in a way that you want it to be outputted. Some interesting examples of what you can do are like, I took an output of all of my, um, I use this social network called threads. It's like Twitter. I, I, I outputted all of my threads from there 
and I fed a representation of that data back into one of my custom GPTs. And I actually had it sort of talk like me. So I, I use it for, insp I don't completely copy and paste some of my threads. So secretly, there's a percentage of my threads that are inspired by my little chat custom GPT. <laughs> I'll leave it up to people that follow me on threads to try and figure out which ones they are. But uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It, it does a really good job. Not, not perfect yet, it, but it does a really good job mimicking my style and my voice. And, and that's definitely one use case. Did you upload it? Did you upload your threads as like a, as a file, as a spreadsheet, or did you just like feed them into the, to the conversation as you were creating the GPT? This is a good question. I, um, what I did was it, when you export it, uh, it's kind of a tedious process. You have to go through Instagram and export a bunch of JSON files. But when I exported it, I took the, I ripped through the JSON and changed it into basically the thread and then, um, three dashed lines to separate each thread. So it kind of understood that like, this is a separate piece of thing. Not, not the most elegant, but you know, it, it definitely recognized that this is, these are sort of different threads. At least mm -hmm. I hope <laughs> it did a pretty good job. GPT-4 is amazing. So, you know, it's, it's trained on all kinds of data that has separations like that. And so it, it recognizes separators. Um, maybe I can use pound signs or something, but your use case is pretty much the same use case I tried to solve or, you know, do when I created my first custom GPT was helping me, uh, create a custom GPT that could help me with social posts. You know, I'm in the consulting space, so it's very important that I, you know, put out some content, talk about interesting things. So um, you know, used, basically it took a collection of my LinkedIn posts and kind of fed them into the custom GPT. And my typical process is I'll, I'll find some interesting articles or something, something I come across and I'll, I'll have the, the custom GPT kind of, I'll feed in that article to it and then say like, you know, give me three to five potential social media posts about this article. And then you take those and then you make them your, your own. Like, again, it never puts out something perfect that I can just copy and paste, but it, it just helps with the ideation iteration process and helping me accelerate. Cause I don't really like doing social, but I do think it's just a good, I'm doing it on behalf of my career and, you know, just putting bright brains name out there. And so I, it's just part of the job. And the fact that I use AI tooling to help me actually makes it more fun than otherwise just like trying to, you know, toil away it crafting my own posts so who would have thought that a meme generator would be <laughs> something yeah. we all need now is there a difference between the custom gpts and the assistance api in OpenAI? That, that is a good question um they are it's pretty much as far as i understand it because i haven't really dug into the assistance api yet as much and i will go into why in a second i, I don't actually think for the most part, you necessarily need the assistance API unless you are creating a service to users that, you know, it would require custom assistance. You, the, the amount of functionality you get just from the stock chat GPT is enough for you, for, for us normal normies to, uh, to do what we need to do with, with assistance. Um, and I think the when I first started digging into the into the assistance API, 
it was a little bit it does a lot just just to just to for the initial stock like getting one assistant running so i haven't really dug into it too much just because um it looked like there's a lot of api calls you had to to do and you can get away with uh most of the most of the interesting things that you would want to do with a chat gpt assistant in in the stock api for example custom gpts actually let you call work what are called actions from your custom gpt which will basically you specify um you, you can have it uh look for a bunch of tools in this case they're just urls and or well and they're called actions right but you it will call one of these actions let's say you wanted to search a database or search your your knowledge base or check the weather stuff like that uh you could give it a bunch of actions and then when you're chatting with ChatGPT, you could you can say like, "Hey, what's the weather today?" And then it'll recognize these are the actions that I have set this custom GPT to to allow it to to reach out to, and uh, it'll actually take the context of what you're saying and inject what it thinks is the right are the right parameters for uh, that particular action. Now, have you actually implemented that? I have. Yes. And what was your what, like what did you actually do with your app? Um, my 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 initial version right now. I, I'm about to dig into this more deeply on on a blog post later. My initial thing was just a test. It's a hello world. I got it to say hello world and return back, and then I actually gave it a a variable so you could say hello somebody, right? And uh, and it immediately filled in hello Lance, <laughs> which is pretty cool because in my in my custom instructions, I've told it my name, so it knew what my name was, and then it actually auto-filled Lance into the call to Hello, Hello World, and then it when it talked to my custom server that I created, my web server that it was calling, it then, uh, you know, it fed in fed in that parameter, recognized it, and fed it, and then the response came back Hello Lance. So not not uh, the most useful thing yet, but I plan on. Um, I plan on actually implementing some sort of uh, RAG, which is a retrieval, retrievable augmentation, or um, I might even do some like search type thing, um, which there's a whole debate around whether or not RAG or search is more effective for actually finding the knowledge that you want. It basically does an external API call. You can, you can provide yeah. your custom GPT with an API key or an OAuth token and you can say, if the user asks these types of questions, do this action. Is what I'm, what I'm. Exactly it, and that's why they have like they have that Zapier integration uh, also. And I imagine it's sort of that, but uh, you you can do your own custom things, uh, and I actually prefer doing that over using Zapier because maybe I just I'm not a big fan of the way that node trees and stuff are working in Zapier and I think it's a little bit expensive and I'd rather have my own solution to, you know, access my own data. Good is it at picking up to nodes to use that action? So I feel like I've had issues with that and then all of a sudden it's using, you know, this action I did not want it to do and I've experienced a lot with, uh, I'm writing Python now for, um, for an app and I'll ask, oh, you know, write me this in Python and then all of a sudden it will go to that Python interpreter and do it in there. And it's like, oh no, I, I want you to tell me. Right. So yeah, I, I've just had issues with that. And is there 
recommendations you have to make it, you know, way that you did the prompt to have it, you know, better pick up on what action to use and how many like different actions or functions are you using to, to call out to? Is it just one? I don't, I played around. I put an all of them on there, right? Going back and forth and doing different things. So yeah, I was just wondering if you had recommendations as you hit that or it, it, it definitely helps to keep that count low. So don't have too many actions. Otherwise it, you know, it's, it's one of those like, oh, I don't know which one to choose or, you know, and, and so it's going to make that decision by itself and whether or not it makes the right decision, the chances of it making the wrong decisions increased by a lot. If you have five similar tools it can talk to and it's like, well, I don't know which one exactly. So I'm just going to pick one. <laughs> so I would, I would say less actions per custom GPT, um, which means that your custom GPTs, um, you should probably make more than less because you can specialize them more. And then I would kind of make your fundamental like data that you're training your GPTs on. You should try to make that modular and then pick and choose different parts of what you want and then put them in the, the custom GPT for that particular task. Um, you, yeah, there's, there's like certain custom GPTs that I like to think uh, are more project-based and therefore maybe more short-term. Uh, and then there's some custom GPTs that are more like, oh, I can use this for, you know, all of my writing all the time and I'm just, I continue to improve it over time. So yeah, that makes sense. Just making like the separate custom GPTs with the, the actions that you want them to do. So. It looks like you could actually disable the code interpreter for your custom GPT. So if you wanted it to intentionally not be able to run its own code, you could, I think you could toggle that and say, don't, you know, don't run code, only produce code. But yeah, good rule of thumb is that I would, uh, I wouldn't go over like five actions per GPT. And really I would think around three is optimal and make sure that the three to five actions are pretty distinct from each other. If, if there's a task that you, you want to add, but it's really close in functionality to another one, maybe you can just merge it into one function. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I Thanks. think, yeah, I think the assistance API could do more, like you give it a specific thing. You say, you know, with the assistance API, you could probably get more granular with like your, the actions you want it to take, uh, versus these custom GPTs, which just, just seems like it's. It's up to what the how how GPT four interprets their prompt to know whether or not to do the action right. Well, yeah. Well, so tool selection is is the problem, right? Um, and you can implement that if you're just sort of relying on the sort of algorithm to to figure out what you're wanting through natural language. Natural language is more vague, right? So, I mean, you could create a menu system where if you if you say certain words it would engage certain actions and make it super granular you know like a command system but you're yeah. getting away from natural language at that point mm -hmm. i have a question lance yes my question is are they it's kind of a multi-tiered question like what are these custom gpts are there going to be a marketplace where people buy and use these things do you really think people would pay for a custom gpt is my first question and from by all accounts, from what I've seen, all this Jet AI stuff is just a money sink. No one's figured out a way to to turn a profit with it. So, like, yeah. And I I don't I don't see how 
like as it stands today with a UI, you kind of create a custom GPT that's for yourself. I think you can, you can share it with your friends and publicly, but like, there's no way to like put your own interface on it. I'm just real curious of like, how does this actually become monetized? Do you think there's an opportunity in a marketplace? And do you think people would actually pay for some of these custom GPTs? Yeah. Great question. Uh, the marketplace is coming. Um, according to their documentation, it was supposed to come out next week, but I, I don't know what that means because I think the documentation has been updated several times since then. I don't know when they said next week. So marketplace is coming, uh, at some point and, uh, they do have plans on monetizing it. I think that the people that are really going to win are probably going to be in the very beginning you know, the at least initially, the, there's going to be some people that find some interesting niches, um, it, you know, and, the, and then really capitalize on it and are experts already in that field. And they keep feeding it maybe information that isn't necessarily available on the web um, readily uh, and then package it up into something that's uh, really usable. Some strategies for people that are looking to build their own custom GPTs. I highly recommend that you don't just feed it uh, the raw data source, unless for some reason the raw data source is really what you need to get to reply to the user in a way that makes sense to, is basically the correct response, right? So I actually recommend that you uh, do, you take the original source material and you, 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 you get ChatGPT to take notes on that source material uh, and then take those notes and feed that back into uh, your your custom GPTs. So it sounds like, and you can lose information from this. This is true. So you have to be careful with that. If if some part of the note is missing some critical information, then you're going to have to re-add it. But what's interesting about this optimization is that because it took notes on the thing, that this is the theory at least, that there were some papers about this, because it took notes on that thing, on that source material, those notes should be able to uh, inspire ChatGPT to actually understand what you're talking about, about that subject matter, and re be able to reproduce, um, you know, cogent and uh, replies uh, relevant to what they're talking about because it's already trained on so much source material. Just having a note about something, it can it'll immediately spark its imagination, if you will, if that makes sense. Mm. How do you think the marketplace will work? Like, do you think it'll be like, I'm thinking most people are on mobile, right? I'm, I'm at, of course at a desk all day and I'm using the web interface for chat GPT most of the time. I do like the, do you think you'll be, the marketplace will be in the open AI iPhone app and you can like purchase and you leverage someone's publicly available, uh, custom GPT. Is, do you think it'll do, is there any insight to how that will actually work? It's interesting. I, I'm not entirely sure. You know, the first version of um, what they were thinking of was like they were doing plugins, right? And and actually plugins is why we kind of know why tool selections is not that great uh, either, because if you added too many plugins, it would get confused. With plugins, they were starting to create a marketplace around that. And I think they might be removing that at some point. I'm not, I think they're doing, making it so that GPTs is the rebranded version of what they're thinking. But yeah, I mean, they have, with, with plugins, they had a marketplace, they had something you could search through. Um, and uh, you're probably going to be able to do that through the phone. 
What's interesting is that uh, at the moment, I don't think you can explore too much with GPTs, or at least you can't build GPTs through your phone. But I do think right. that those things are coming. I don't know if the build, maybe the builder won't be something that is on mobile, but you will be able to explore on your mobile and use these GPTs. Like today, you know, I, I can use my, at least I can use my custom GPTs on my phone and it works. It's it's awesome. I, I definitely, every time I create a GPT uh, for a certain task, I much prefer it to stock GPT-4. Yeah. Okay. An example of one that I've created and We'll see if it uh, if it catches if it if it becomes popular, but I created a, a Ruby on Rails programmer that I plan on releasing to the marketplace, and uh, we will see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where Mark's right. going through with being in the cloud architecture space. It's like okay, you create a custom GPT that's proficient in Kubernetes, right? Becomes your little Kubernetes assistant, you. But then it's like, what am I, what am I, how would I set the custom GPT up? I'd basically take the Q Kubernetes documentation and feed it into this GPT and, and then have to update it regularly whenever there's changes to the document. Like, it just seems like, I don't know, it's all it's doing is referencing the documentation. So why wouldn't someone just go to the Kubernetes website and look at the documentation? I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck on the use case and like, I almost feel like generative AI hasn't quite like it's still not profitable right like I, I don't know if anyone's found a way no one's cracked the nut that this is like this is a revenue driving venture and so i'm still like i'm kind of i i use i used oh, chat gpt pretty much daily uh, but i just don't know if there's that going to be that killer app there hasn't been that killer app yet that i think outside of chat gpt itself and i'm just curious if they're going to be able to make money on this stuff yeah, I mean that's hard to say. I do think that there there will be people if, if uh, incentivized enough to keep if they do make a Docker uh, a, a sysops expert, you know they they will be motivated to keep it update up to date if there's money involved. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do think that there will be one at least one you know or two like really good ones that people will just use because uh, and rely on because. They know that the person updating it underneath uh, is motivated to keep it up to date. Kind of like, you know, GitHub repos that are continue that continue to be updated are continue to be used, but the ones that aren't kind of um, die out. And it, you know what? I, it's the money thing is interesting because I, I feel like the open source versions of these GPTs are probably going to be the ones that everyone ends up using and are the best. And the ones that are proprietary are going to have a hard time keeping up unless they have some sort of company behind them or they have some proprietary data set that people need to access. Question from the audience. Uh, isn't that what GitHub, Copilot, and Cursor are so good at doing? Probably that's from Les. I, I think he's talking about, you know, creating these GPTs that help with Kubernetes or Ruby on Rails. Like, isn't, how is yours? Ah. How is yours going to be different than what GitHub, Copilot, it seems like they're already, you know, arguably magnitudes of order ahead of whatever you put together in this in this, this custom GPT. Good question. Uh, it's kind of maybe it's a more of a matter of preference, but every time I've tried to use GitHub Copilot, um, I've found it to be not as great at sort of the high level project that I'm working on. So usually, when I'm my workflow for coding is that I 
start my project in ChatGPT and I start to ask, I, I start to build a high level version of it in ChatGPT. And I kind of use it as a driver. I'm like, so, okay, let's, let's start to build, let's start to uh, code this project um, and, you know, break down the steps for me to do this. And a lot of that involves running command line scripts that, um, you know, VS Code doesn't necessarily have access to. And so uh, I, I use that to drive VS Code Copilot. I know Copilot has a chat, but for some reason, again, a preference thing, I, I have not found it to be as good as uh, even ChatGPT stock. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why. So I use I use uh, my Rails custom GPT as the driver. I also put all of my preferences in there, like what dependencies I like to use, how I like to set up projects. I, I put all of my preferences in there, including how I like to code, which I, you know, I'm not entirely sure that there are good and easy ways to do that training in Copilot itself. So my my Rails expert uh, has a, quite a few notes in there about how I like to code and code well. Um, so when you have it, when it actually writes out code and refactors things, uh, it comes out uh, nicer than what I get out of stock Copilot. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I yeah, want that to. makes a lot of sense. Because um, yeah, I haven't done too much with it, but now that I'm I'm learning, it, it's nice that it spits out a bunch of different ways to do things each time, so I can learn like, oh, that's another way, right? Like, oh, that's a little bit better. But yeah, when I'm working on you know something I'm a little more familiar with, and I want to make it nice, clean, tight, um, like a TypeScript app, that's where it's like, oh, you know, I wish it was, you know, would spit it out like just how I like it, right? The format and you know files and yeah i could i could see that and that's where i see the benefit of these custom gpts is you can create ones that are useful for you right um and real quick yeah copilot great example of a, a gen ai tool that they're losing money hand over fist on um you know they're 20 dollars a month per seat i think they're i think they're it can be up to, uh, close to 50 dollars per month to actually run that service for the end users so that's interesting business model there and i don't know how long that's going to be sustainable i think they're assuming the price will go down as the gpus get better and the ais get more efficient so i think they'll turn it around from a revit from a profitability standpoint and then the other thing i think where you know putting my consultant hat on is like i think there's a marketplace for a company like right brain to come in and build a custom GPT for an internal tool for a company, right? Like they don't necessarily want to have the bandwidth or expertise to to know how to build one themselves. So like, okay, well, let, what's your data source? Let us build the custom GPT for you and then we can deploy it to your internal systems. And then all of a sudden, you know, all your new hires, all, you know, your support staff, your, your sales staff, whatever, they've got a custom GPT that knows everything about your processes, knows about your company's historical context. It just seems like that deploying those internally for companies seems like a, at least in my mind, a more feasible use case than like this broad marketplace of GPTs that it's just going to be, I mean, it's just going to be saturated with so much. Oh yeah. Unless there's like a gatekeeper, like a app store approval that makes sure these GPTs are of quality. Um, yeah, it's kind of where my head's at with this. What's interesting is like, I, I, I do think that there will be some unique GPTs out there that people will be able to create and people will start to rely on their output. But the only problem with that is it's 
really, there's no way you can bar somebody from interacting with that GPT and extracting out enough data to train their own. Right. I, I do I do agree with you. I think the uh, consumer versions of these, the you know, to to consumer uh, versions of these, will be hard to create some sort of unique value prop for a long term. Yeah, no arguments there. <laughs> but I mean, we get into some philosophical discussions about AI and how it's just filling. You know, if it's filling all the permutations of things, then I mean, at some point, AI eats the world, right? So. <laughs> uh, Joe in the audience has a comment. He writes, uh, "Domain-specific foundation models will be will be the next thing to evolve." I think that I think that does tie into what we're saying here. Like, yeah, having and that's what these custom GPTs are. I think essentially you're you're taking all the benefits of this trained GPT four and then augmenting it with another domain-specific, uh, you know, source of information. But maybe Joe's talking about something different. Feel free to clarify, Joe. But I think there could be there could be like specific domain specific models that come out. Like it's only trained on right AWS cloud architecture or something like that. It would be an interesting LLM that I'd want to you know get my hands on to just talk with. And Amazon Q probably already does it in a lot of ways. I haven't played with Q too much, but um, yeah. Well, there is a distinction here because you know I think that a lot of people are going to end up creating GPT 3.5 base models on top of it that they'll fine tune with their own custom data that maybe they extract from GPT 4 or 4.5 now, right? 4.5 turbo. I think that makes that use case is definitely going to become more and more prevalent as GPT 4.5 uh, uh, becomes cheaper, right? Um, though the custom GPT uh, process is actually uh, at the moment, probably a better route to go if you're trying to create something like that. If you're trying to create it, okay. The the assistant model might I haven't explored it, but the assistant model might be a way to go for now instead of training a version three five model. I don't know if it'll be cheaper, but training that with your data set because there's a distinction between training the model to understand how to do a task and then the actual information itself. If the actual information itself is in the form that GPT-4.5 knows already, there's really no advantage to training a, a version 3.5 model, you know, in a custom way to 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 do the task you're trying to, to do. Like you, you, you might as well just have a rag, you know, some big knowledge base that you're searching through, have it retrieve the information it needs in prime the LLM uh, and output that information if it's just information you're seeking and sort of high level processing of that information. Okay. Yeah. There, there are definitely use cases where that is going to be where it makes sense to train a three five model because it's never seen that kind of data before and it needs to be trained on it. I think coding is a huge example. They're still working on stuff that makes coding better and better. As far as information goes in general, I don't think you're going to get much advantage. Um, fine-tuning it if you were to make your own right and like with like three five model what would that cost right now um it's 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 not that expensive uh it take it's it's i guess it depends on how big your data set is and are we talking open source or are we talking open ai 
I guess that's it, right? If you're if it's a smaller data source and you're making it very domain specific, it's not going to be that much because you're not going on that all the data uh, OpenAI did to make their three point five model. So I, hmm. if if you're trying to implement these things, I would approach it in the in the reverse order of like start with GPT four five, see if you can solve the problem you want to solve with GPT four five and your data set. If you can. Then if it's too expensive to do it that way, then explore other ways of doing it. But start with four five, you know? Yeah. Because that's really a four five and then some sort of database in the background is the easiest implementation you can do. And then you get the advantages of uh 128 context model, right? Because um if you train a if you train a data model on three five, you're only probably gonna get the sixteen K context model. But there are obviously ways to get around that too. You could have a response that replies with this new model you created on top of three five, uh, and then you could you could have 128k context kind of wrap that response in something if you were trying to do something elaborate. But um, somewhat related. Do you do you think anyone's gonna? Who else is gonna? launch their own custom GPT services. Is is Bard going to have this functionality soon? Is there any other players that are kind of going down this custom GPT path that you can see? That's a good question. I haven't heard from any other provider, um, you know, as, as say that, that that was their vision, you know. Uh, I, I do follow Claude, but I haven't I haven't really seen much you know, beyond the chat interface, I think that they've really focused on catering to enterprises um, for their for their actual business model. And they, you know, these assistance uh, isn't an is not an abstraction that they've really built into their business model. And uh, Google, I mean, <laughs> Google's just catching up. I don't I don't know what what they're doing right now. They're you know. They've claimed to, to release this model that's better than GPT-4 and, you know, we've yet to see it. And then they had that botched demo and I'm just a little bit, uh, not not botched demo, but it, everyone found out that it was kind of fake. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm still waiting on Google to really get impressed. And so, yeah, OpenAI is really the only, the only one that I've seen create this vision. Um, whether or not it's an abstraction that, is something that, you know, is going to be the future of all of these services. I don't know. Um, but I know that OpenAI is looking at the community and seeing what they're doing. Uh, things like Langchain have created these agent models and these really elaborate uh, cognitive architectures, right? OpenAI has said that any sort of tangential services you know, don't build a business around because we're going to start to step into that space. And they're listening to the community. And when they when they see something like Langchain come out, they start to build tools that will, you know, don't require you to have Langchain as an individual because you actually don't need to be a developer to, to do a custom GPT, which is pretty amazing. So mm -hmm. you don't need Langchain as a normie to build your own custom GPT, which is pretty amazing. Now, the future could be, and the future, if you think about it from the Langchain perspective, OpenAI could make it so that, you know, you could make your GP, your custom GPTs autonomous, 
You could make them talk to each other. You could make them do all kinds of orchestration. And that would be amazing. And they're probably, I, I know for a fact that enterprises are already doing that today with Langchain, um, especially like big research companies, um, if, if that makes sense, like ones that are trying to pick good stocks or research businesses. They're already doing completely autonomous research systems with at huge scale. Now, being able to reproduce that for everybody else would be pretty cool. I, I did a lot of experiments when I was trying to create an AI social network where I had uh, like AI completely generate chat room conversation. Cogmix. Yep. Yep. Cogmix. Yep. So you should check out um, Microsoft has a framework of sorts. It's called MS Autogen. And this is a this is a tooling that allows you to create these autonomous agents. Really cool. You can you can so you can like you can say like one agent is your product manager and another agent is your developer and another agent is your QA engineer and um, you kind of launch them and you can just watch them interact and and produce results and then they they prompt you when they need input. A colleague of mine talked to me about it at at DevOps Days Detroit. I haven't had a chance to actually use MS Autogen. It's a, it stands for Microsoft Autogen, two words. It took me a while to find it, but I read through the documentation and it looks like, it looks exactly like what you're talking about. And I, I think that is an autonomous AI agent. See, does it's, it, that's definitely where things are going. And that's, it's, it's just more really expensive to think about them, more expensive, thinking about them interacting with each other, thinking about the guardrails you need in place to make sure they don't go haywire or, you know, create some massive bill for API calls for you. Yeah. Uh, but very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. And then embodiment, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like that's, you know, a lot of these providers, vendors, it's, uh, it, they are steered towards what makes our money. Right. And like AWS, the more data they can get, you know, to, you know, pull in and do things on. Right. And I feel like it's kind of the same here. The more things that they can put out to make more API calls to make you, you know, cost more money, uh, that's kind of what drives them too. So you would think that, but I think um, they do put limitations on the automation um, because I think right now OpenAI, they're more focused on trying to get the reinforcement learning as opposed to trying to get more people using their API to use it for automation purposes. Um, so I think they kind of are, they, I think they find more value in the people actually using ChatGPT than they do the people using the API in, a, in an autonomous fashion, because with the API, they don't get any training data with people using ChatGPT, they get the reinforcement learning. We had a question from Nicole. You have to have the paid version of ChatGPT to get the custom GPT access. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's what, that's what I thought. Yes, and I highly recommend it, especially if you have ever thought that AI sucks because you've only used version 3.5. I think yeah. your opinion is not great if uh, you've only ever used 3.5. <laughs> well, you get a lot of people, we touched on this last time we talked, but like a lot of people will denounce the use of these generative AIs because of the hallucinations. And right. I'm very confused by that position because I, I never, I don't recall Sam Altman announcing chat GPT and, and announcing that this is now the beacon of truths. Right. And we do know somebody that try is trying to do that. Right. 
Oh yeah, yeah, with Grok. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I, my metaphor is like I don't blame, um, you know, I don't blame my table saw when it when it cuts the board the wrong length, right? Um, I blame myself. So I, I very much think of these. As, this is a tool. Um, and you need to know how to use it properly and safely if you want good results. Like if I, I ask it for facts about myself, it might, it'll produce something, but you know, why would I expect it to be accurate? I do see people's point, especially with like major historical figures and things like that. But at the same time, I never thought this tool was marketed as a beacon of truth. So it just, I've seen backlash. I think Tom, you even mentioned that sometimes your coworkers will even give you backlash for using the the tool because it you know it it produces hallucinations, um, and I'm just kind of like, all right, well if that's what, if you if you're gonna, I don't know. I remember the one time I searched something on the internet and it wasn't true, and so then I stopped using Google for the rest of my life. Right? It just doesn't <laughs> doesn't make sense. So I think there's. I don't know why there's this expectation just probably because it speaks English, probably because it speaks perfect English and people expect it to, to, you know, if it's, if it's telling you something, it should be truthful. Like, I don't know. Well, when, when Google came out their uh, their mandate and role was to, to organize, you know, the world's information. And it took a while to train people on using keywords to actually search for said information when actually they did for the, a lot of a lot of times wanted to write the actual question and actually interact with the machine. Uh, that's why we had Ask Jeeves, right? Like instead of parsing the keywords, people were like, "Oh, I prefer asking questions." So mm-hmm. there has always been this intrinsic need for people to ask questions in a more human way and have a conversation. But uh, there were limitations in the technology. And so Google kind of solved the first version, which was to, yeah, you can search the world's information with our basic way of doing that, which is with keywords. But then with the advent of generative AI, you know, and the partnership with Microsoft and Bing, they kind of married the two when really generative AI was never, generative AI itself is not a tool for searching. It is a relationship and clustering tool. And, and being able to like see, you know, take, take a bunch of data that it already has in its data set and be able to organize it in a way that's, you know, understandable to your prompt, like what, whatever you're asking it. Uh, it's a conversation tool. And so you, you still, if you want it to be giving you the right answers, you still have to have the, the data set be accurate that you're referencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots in the chat says it. Kind of depends on what you're using it for. I know right. some newsrooms are wary of using it since they are su- they are supposed to be offering the best available version of the truth, or for legal or for medical info. So yeah, I couldn't agree more or less. Um, you have to know the use case. I think it's great in my field of you know writing code and solving engineering problems. It does a pretty good job of of helping me out in most cases. It does hallucinate some classes and some function calls that don't exist when I'm trying to do things with like AWS CDK and things like that, which can be frustrating, but, um, yeah. Yeah. You have to learn the tools. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it hasn't done this before, but I try it again, right? Maybe like a couple months later to see if you know, maybe it can do this, right? Usually shoot, shoot for the moon, right? Like I'm trying to do this, just ask it right at the beginning, right? Just 
can you do this? And then I kind of work from there. Like, yeah. all right, I got to break this down. Yeah. I do think that these AI, gen AI tools are going to dramatically change the legal space. I think within the next five to 10 years, you could have people using AI bots as their as their public defenders, right? And I think it would help balance the scale in terms of justice, you know, where, where people who otherwise couldn't afford proper legal representation could have a domain trained attorney, an AI attorney representing them. I think that's where, that's my prediction for, you know, a, a, a societal change for the good. I think it would do a lot of people good to have proper legal representation. And I think AI could solve that problem. Well, so there was uh, the news that came out recently with Michael Cohen. Did you see that? Where he actually submitted. Uh, oh, yeah. Bad citations and, you know, <laughs> fault. Used, used ChatGPT to write something and it had a bunch of, you know, false information and bad citations. And that's hallucinated, classic. hallucinated case law that, yeah. and then that it didn't exist. And then it had, you know, it had to invent case law and then to justify its opinion. <laughs> well, Lance, can you wrap us up here? Because I gotta, I gotta go. I got a meeting here. Yeah. I can talk about this all day. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Cool. Well, I want to take an opportunity to thank our listeners for tuning in to today's episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. We hope you found the conversation informative and valuable. We would love to have you join us again for our next episode, where we're going to discuss. Mm, I think we're going to be talking with Jason Brown about some serverless stuff. Next week we're off. We have a gap in our uh, schedule. So I think the week after that will be Jason talking about uh, serverless tech. Cool. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you, Lance. Happy New Year to all. Let's kick <laughs> off this year right.